things can always be worse. Right now, there's somebody wishing that they were in your position. So things can always be worse. Remember that, my friends. Welcome to An Apple A Day, a podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy, healthy life with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to another episode of An Apple A Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. How you feeling today, my friends? You feeling good? You feeling strong? You feeling better than you did yesterday? Excellent. You can't ask for better than that. Hey, we have got a good one for you today. Today we're talking to Elijah Stacy. Now you're saying, hmm, I know that name. Of course you know that name. This man wrote a book when he was 16 years old. It was called The Small If. Now I'm not going to tell you what it's about because Elijah's going to tell you what it's about. And he also runs a nonprofit organization. He's fighting for his life. He's 20 years old now, and he's fighting for his life. He has a, a disease called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Now, if you don't know what Duchenne muscular dystrophy is, my friend here, who I like to call Space Cadet Dave, he's going to tell you a little bit about it. So sit back for a second and check this out. What is Duchenne muscular dystrophy? Duchenne muscular dystrophy, DMD, is a genetic disorder characterized by progressive muscle degeneration and weakness due to the alterations of a protein called dystrophin that helps keep muscle cells intact. DMD is one of four conditions known as dystrophinopathies. The other three diseases that belong to this group are Becker muscular dystrophy, BMD, a mild form of DMD an intermediate clinical presentation between DMD and BMD, and DMD-associated dilated cardiomyopathy, heart disease, with little or no clinical skeletal, or voluntary, muscle disease. DMD symptom onset is in early childhood, usually between ages 2 and 3. The disease primarily affects boys, but in rare cases it can affect girls. What are the symptoms of DMD? Muscle weakness is the principal symptom of DMD. It can begin as early as age 2 or 3, first affecting the proximal muscles, those close to the core of the body, and later affecting the distal limb muscles, those close to the extremities. Usually, the lower external muscles are affected before the upper external muscles. The affected child might have difficulty jumping, running, and walking. Other symptoms include enlargement of the calves, a waddling gait, and lumbar lordosis, an inward curve of the spine. Later on, the heart and respiratory muscles are affected as well. Progressive weakness and scoliosis result in impaired pulmonary function, which can eventually cause acute respiratory failure. What is the life expectancy of someone with Duchenne muscular dystrophy? In the past, most people with DMD did not live beyond their early 20s. Improvements in treatment have meant that life expectancy has increased. At present, average life expectancy for people with DMD is 27 years. Let me turn the microphone back over to Jimmy. Wow, can you imagine? You're 20 years old and you know that your life expectancy is around 27 years? What would you be doing? Think about that. What would you be doing? Would you be writing books? Would you be running an organization? 
Or would you be sitting up in a corner like a lump of clay worrying about what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I know one thing for sure. Elijah is not letting any moss grow on him. He is out there. He's kicking ass and he's taking names. I'm sorry. That's the only way to put it. This man is a ball of fire. Okay, he's in a wheelchair, but he's not letting that stop him either. He, he, he's amazing to me. He is absolutely amazing. He's not going to sit back and wait for someone else to try and come up with the funding to work on this disease that is actually killing him. He's looking to find the funding to find a cure for this disease that he has. And, you know, here's the thing. Not only does he have the disease in his family, he has two other brothers that has the, have the disease. And unfortunately, his younger brother Max didn't survive. Max passed away when he was 14. He still has a younger brother that has this Duchenne's disease, this Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. So this is very important to him. Now, you would think that he'd be a stuffed shirt and very uh, tight. Let me tell you, Elijah is one of the nicest people I've met. He has a heart of gold. He has a sense of humor, and he's driven. The one thing that I can't believe about Elijah, and we had a long talk about this, and you'll hear it in the interview, he has no idea who Shania Twain is. So I've sent him a link so he can find out who Shania Twain is. We had a talk about music, and he doesn't like country music, but I'm sure since he's seen the link of Shania Twain, I think that might have changed his mind. Also, I sent them a link for Carrie Underwood and a couple other ladies of country. So I think that might have changed his mind. And, you know, he's planning for the future. He's not letting that 27-year thing get him down. He's planning for the future. Actually, and this, he, did, he hasn't said it on any of the podcasts. You know what? I'm going to let him tell you. But he has plans coming up to the future right now. And he shared it with us. He didn't share it on any of the podcast or any other interview. He shared it with us here. So sit back, relax, and I want to introduce you to this incredible human being, Elijah Stacy. with Elijah Stacy. Now this this young man, I have to say this, this he's taking the bull by the horns. He's not letting anybody do it for him. He said, I'm going to fix this myself. This man has Duchenne's disease and he's going to explain what it is. I'm not going to even try to explain this. So sit back, relax, and I want you to meet my friend, Elijah Stacy. How you doing today, Elijah? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, I'm amazed that you t that you took the time to be with us today. I, I feel very lucky that you're here. Elijah, Thank you. do me a favor. Explain to yeah. us what Duchenne's disease is. Yeah, so Duchenne muscular dystrophy, what it is, is it's a muscle-wasting disease that eats away a person's muscles as time goes on. So when I was a little kid, I was able to walk, but I'd walk on my tippy toes. That is... What happens with people who have Duchenne muscular dystrophy? 
and I would fall on the floor frequently. I wasn't able to keep up with my peers at recess. I had trouble going upstairs or steps. And then, you know, when I was 11 years old, then I lost my ability to walk completely, completely dependent on a power wheelchair. And then, you know, in your later teenage years, you start to lose mobility in your arms because your arms going to be attacked as well. And then the disease is a fatal disease. Most people pass away when they're 25. And the reason that is, is because your heart and diaphragm are muscles as well. And those are going to be attacked. Just out of, out of curiosity, you said you walked on your tippy toes. Is there a reason for that? Do all people with this disease walk on the tippy toes? That is correct. Yes, all people with the disease will. The reason why is because your muscles are compensating. So you still have function because you're, you know, parts of your muscles are getting weaker. So you're using other parts of your muscles to compensate to still have the same function of mobility. So you, your body wants to walk, right? But it's got to use other muscles in order to compensate for you to have the strength to walk since your other muscles are getting weaker. So what does it do? It affects like your, your ankles. I, I don't mean to sound dumb, but does it affect your ankles and your heel like that? Well, I mean, it affects all, all your muscles. So, I mean, um, you, you really couldn't just pinpoint one muscle. I mean, every muscle is going to be uh, weakened. The, the reason the reason why muscles, so the muscles literally die, right? So what happens is inside your, so your muscle cells are called monocyte cells, right? And so inside your monocyte cell, you have the, the cell membrane. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's the top layer. And some membrane, its job is to regulate what goes in and out of the cell. Now, what happens is inside of a monocyte cell, you have this, this pillar structure is what I like to think of it as. It kind of like upholds the roof, the cell membrane. And this pillar structure in, inside your monocyte cell is called dystrophin. Every time you contract your muscle, that pillar holds up the, the cell membrane, holds up the roof. With a person with Duchenne, the they do not have that pillar. So there's nothing holding up the roof. So every time you contract your muscle, the cell membrane, the roof, breaks. And so what happens is a lot of things enter in the house, enter in the cell that shouldn't be there, and it ends up destroying the cell. Wow. That's what's happening with the So the cells are, the muscle cells are dying. That's, that's horrible. Now, you have two brothers that were also diagnosed with this. Tell us about that. Yeah, so my youngest brother, Kai, he has the shin muscle as well. He's 14 years old. He's in eighth grade, and he has he's in a wheelchair, just as I am. So he has the shin. And then my other brother, Matt, he had the shin as well. He passed away when he was 14. And Max had other health complications as well. When he was born, he had an open heart surgery that that didn't go well, was not successful, and it led to him being blind, led to him being cognitively delayed, not able to talk, needing a feeding tube, and having a full time nurse with him. Uh, to take care of him and he was basically just confined to his bed his whole life I'm so sure. max was really severe but we learned that he had the shin muscular later on as well and that made that explains a lot of the things that happened to him i'm so sorry to hear that i'm so sorry for your loss Jeez, what a terrible disease i did some research on this this is probably before your time but uh did, did you ever see the jerry lewis telethon i have back in the day that was that was all kids with the muscular dystrophy, and that was someone told me that they had the chains, the the kids that were involved with that. I don't know mm-hmm. how true that was, but it, it was just something that when I got when I started looking up you know your information that came up. All right, Dory, the the book that you wrote. Let's get off this for a second. The book that you wrote, the small if. Now I'm reading that right now, as I told you, and is I can't believe that you was you. 
You were 16 when you started writing it? That's correct, yeah. I was 16 when I started writing it, and then I finished writing it at 17. Jeez. And then I, I'm, I'm 20 now, and so I published it uh, this year. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you were 16 when you were writing that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And you wrote that in a year. Yeah. Huh. That's... <laughs> You, you, I'm in awe of you. In all honesty, I'm, I'm actually in awe of you. Did you spend like all your time writing that book, or is this just something that you did on the side? Well, I was in high school at the time, so you know I do homework and projects and all that stuff, and I did clubs and everything. But um, no, I mean I've been writing basically on the side. You know, it's been I don't know two, three hours a day writing it. You know, I would sometimes I, the type of guy I was in high school, right, is like. You know, I, I like to do things with meaning and purpose. So sometimes I just go to the library or whatever at, at lunch and just bring my laptop and just write. You know, I mean, I love talking to people. I'm very extroverted. I like getting to know people and everything like that. But, I mean, a lot of people, and this is something I'm really big on, actually, is, like, a lot of young people, right, like, we, I feel like we're not doing things with meaning or purpose. We just kind of go with emotion. And, and I never understood that. Like, I don't understand why someone... I hate when people tell me, oh, I'm only 18, I don't know what I want to do, or I'm only 19. Why does that matter? Like, you know, I feel like you could be great and start moving on with your life right now. Like, I look at, you know, people in the 30s, people in the 40s, we have grown, uh, or not grown men, we have 18-year-old men, you know, going to Nazi Germany, mm -hmm. to, you know, to go fight the Nazis. Like, you know, what about them, right? So why can't I be like them in some type of sense, in the sense that I can start to build my career, build my life, and, and know what I want, and and mature faster. I, th I think we need more maturity today. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought I'm glad you brought up that that point about about you know when I started writing the book because like what I'm doing right now with everything these interviews, these TV interviews, these podcasts, writing the book, writing the organization I run, like it's bigger than just the shin. It's bigger than me. It's about overcoming adversity and proving to the world that you can do great things at a young age and that there's really nothing that can hold you back. No wheelchair, no age, no amount of resources. Like you, you if you want it to happen, it may take time, but if you have the will, it, you will make it happen. Exactly. Exactly. Now I applaud that. I applaud that because that's the point of this podcast. That's what this mm. po podcast is all about. There's obstacles in the way. And, for, this, for, for people with disabilities, now you yourself know, there's obstacles, but there's always a way around them. And you're proving it. You're living proof. There's always a way to get around an obstacle, either over it, under it, around it. There's always a way. It may take a little bit longer sometimes, but you're going to get around it. I, I, have, I have very little use for people to just sit back and say, I can't do it. Yes. If you don't try, you don't know. And you're living proof that you can do whatever you put your mind to. And I, t I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed when I got the letter that's saying you're taking control of fighting your own disease, trying to find a cure for your own disease. And I said I had to be involved with that. There's no ands, ifs, or buts. There was no question that I wanted to be involved with you with this. I find it amazing. But the other, now the flip side of it too, though, you're a young guy, and it can't be all business. Now, you just said you, you belong to clubs. What kind of clubs did you belong to? Yeah, so the one of the clubs I 
was involved with was mock trial as a so I joined that as a freshman in mm. high school. My role there was to be the pretrial lawyer. So if you don't know what mock trial is, are you familiar with mock trial? Oh yeah. The club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I'd made the pretrial motion. So you know I would argue with a real judge in a real courtroom, going back and forth over the case law. And so I'd be really quick off my feet. But you know I I love I love that type of club. I, I was really involved with like intellectual type of clubs. I was in a well, I, well, I actually started a destroyer to shin club. So it's like a, you know, my organization, we also made a club on the high school, but really mock trial was my main, my main focus. And that's what I focused on. And then, um, just also my studies. I did, um, AP classes. And I mean, I was actually in IB as well. So, you know, higher, higher level classes that put out a lot more work, a little more chunks and stuff. But, um, but I, I enjoy that type of thing. I enjoy being pushed intellectually and really expanding my knowledge and, and being around people who want to have, you know, an intellectual conversation, that's that's what I'm all about. Well, that, from your picture, the picture of you in your book, that I've seen the video with you and Jeff Bezos, you look like a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> you actually do look like a lawyer. I could, I could see you being a lawyer. Uh, that's funny. It, um, yeah, you look the type. You look the type. But I'm, I'm glad you get... I'm glad that you have some, you know, you have to have some fun. It can't be all work all the time. And if that's what you enjoy, that's great. Well, right. But, but, but that's something I'd add on to is like, well, what is, what is fun, right? Because like, you know, like a lot of things that people think are fun to me, I think are super boring. Like, uh, you know, I think like partying all the time is really boring. Like genuinely, like you'd have to pay me money to go and party. Um, <laughs> but I think like working on an accomplishment, like, trying to make an impact or stuff like that. I think that's incredibly fun. I think having a philosophical debate is super fun. I think going to the beach or hanging out with your friends or like going out to a nice dinner. I think that's super fun. So it's like, what do you, what, you know what I mean? Like, what do you define as fun? Like, I think working and like doing this interview with you is fun. Like, um, so yeah, I think it's also like, well, what do you, like, how would you define fun too? Well, I think that's also important. Yeah. The, well, that's it. What you, what you find if that, well, that's the point that I'm getting at. What you find is fun, you have to be able to do that. You know, like like you said, if you if if they if I came to you right now and said, Look, Elijah, you gotta go out and go to the beach with your friends and you're gonna go, Oh, I really don't want to. I'd rather stay here and work on my book because working on the book is fun, then that, then that's good. You have to have fun. Like you said, you have to you have to determine what fun is for you. But as long as you're having fun, that's that's what I was trying to get at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some people just never have fun. You have to have fun in life. That's what I was trying to get at, especially someone with a disability. You get too many people that have a disability and they never have fun. They're too busy moaning and groaning about how bad <laughs> things are, you know. Mm. And if fun for you is writing a book, if fun for you is talking to me, which I think is fun. but whatever you find is fun you have to do it and you're doing it and that's what's great that's what's great that's what i'm that's what i'm getting at Mm. you have to find what's fun and i like i said i'm i'm in awe of you because what you're doing and you're enjoying it that's the thing it's not it's not a drudgery for you kudos to you that that's that's where i'm at that's what that's what it's getting at for me and uh like I said, the book, I'm reading the book, and I'm just so amazed that a 16-year-old wrote this book. If you told me it's 16, to be honest, you have to write a book, I would have been lost. 
and I'm reading it, and it doesn't read like a 16-year-old wrote it. That's that's the other thing. It reads like a a world I, I don't know a worldly person wrote that book. It doesn't read like a a, a normal 16-year-old wrote it. Well, thank you for that. I mean, that's another thing I'm big on is I don't want to be I don't want to be normal. Like I want to be different. I want to be exceptional. You know, I want to be the best at what I do. Right. So so I always strive to be the best I can be. Right. So. I you, appreciate that. You reached it. You've reached it. Mm-hmm. How did you come up? How did you come up with the title, the small if? Yeah. So small if, where it comes from is, well, when I was 16, my doctor, I, I had a, a cert, well, not a surgery, but I had an X-ray of my spine because my spine was starting to curve. It's common with people uh, with the shin. And anyways, my spine was so curved. And my doctor said, well, you know, I'm going to have to really put my foot down and make sure you have this surgery. And what it is is they sort of metal rod into your back to straighten out your spine. I don't want that. And so he's, he's pushing it. And he's saying, yeah, you know, we'll have this group of doctors we'll do it during the summertime to avoid the flu season. And he's getting really specific. So I'm like, okay, he's serious. He's totally serious. I look over to my left, you know, my mom's crying. My dad's got his head down. I'm sitting there smiling because I'm not accepting the news. And I'm just thinking, well, I, I can't have the surgery or whatever. So I'm going back and forth with my doctor, and, and nothing's really happening. <laughs> he was like, yeah, you have to have the surgery. So then I asked him, I said, okay, okay. Let's just say that if I was able to somehow reverse the current state of my spine, could I avoid having the surgery then? And he says, hey, well, you know, I don't want to give you any false hope. I've never seen anybody do that. It's basically medically impossible. But because I know you and your character, I will give you a small if. I thought, okay, a small if. So from that day forward, I went to physical therapy, did intense stretching all the time. I worked out every single day at my house. I hung a picture of my curved spine on my wall in my bedroom. So I would see it every single morning. It would, you know, it set the the mindset for the day. That's my focus. That's what I got to reverse. And I even taught myself how to cook so I could eat healthier. So, you know, I'd be carrying a pan in one hand, driving my wheelchair in the other hand, uh, meal prepping, right, creating meal preps, um, and doing um, just everything I could in my, my power to try and train my spine because I wanted to do it, one, because I love when people tell me I can't do something. I'm going to go and do it. <laughs> number two, number two, um, I don't want the surgery. And so I, this, was, this became bigger to me, right? This was not just, oh, avoiding the surgery. It was like, you know, saying the mission to prove that, I could do anything I want to do, basically, right? Even medical stuff. I could push it to the limits. And uh, three months later, I go to the doctors, and I'm confident in my spine. Sure, I know how much work I put in. And we look at the spine, and it's straighter. And he's like, yeah, you did it. I don't have to have the surgery. All from just a small if. That's all I need was a small if, right? And so that's where the title of the book comes from. Unbelievable. So you went, you went like all animal. You just started working out. A hundred percent. Now, do you still do it? Do you still work out? Uh, yes, absolutely. Still go to physical therapy, um, and, and still do that. You know, it's important, especially with my disease. It's like you have to work out, not because you want to look good and, you know, like I don't even work out because they want to look good. That's fine. You know, it's good health. It's fine. But with the shin, it's like, no, like for me at least, you know, you got to work out to maintain what I have to maintain stuff like that. So it's important to, to continue to do that. If you were to stop working out, 
would your spine go back and start curving again? Or you probably, I mean, probably like it's, you know, you have to maintain stuff. And what's your, what's your workout ritual? Well, it, it depends on the, the day, but I mean, on Thursdays, I, I, uh, and not right now cause you know, it's the holidays or whatever, but typically we go to uh physical therapy mm-hmm. when they're open. Right. But you know, like on a normal day, like what I'll do is I'll have like a, a bike. How do I explain? It's like an arm bike and you put your arms in it and you, you could do that for cardio. I'll do right. stretching. I'll do um, what is called chair sit-ups, mm-hmm. which it's like I'll sit in my chair and basically just touch my toes and then go up, like you know it's stuff like that. I do the um, same. I do the same. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All that stuff, but it's just it's just things like that. Now, just curious, I was just curious. So you don't get a, you don't get on a on a on a weight bench or anything like that. And start stuff. Well, go ahead. What, no, you, you you're not pumping weights or anything like that, are you? No, no, definitely not. No, I do. Uh, I'm also in a chair, so I do the I do the push-ups, the chair push-ups, and the you know touching my toes and lifting the lifting. I do the lifting from on from the chair, you know, on my arms. Mm-hmm. I do the 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 hand cycle stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to keep some kind of <laughs> some kind of motion going. That's good. That's really good. All right, I'm going to ask you this. What's What do you mean by an adaptive mindset? Yeah, so an adaptive mindset, that's one of the lessons in my book out of the 13 lessons in it. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, an adaptive mindset is, is adopting that mindset of you're going to be creative and you're going to find a way to adapt to a situation no matter what. And so if it takes you 100 times to figure out how to get out of your bed to get into your wheelchair and 101 is the magic number that you figure it out, then you figure it out. But it's when your mind is set. It's not, you know, it, you know, you're setting your mind on something. And once it's something set, it's set. It's stone wall. It's not moving. And so that's how I, that's how I view that, that mindset. And when you develop that, right, it allows you to get really creative because it's like, well, if I have to make this work, I have to make it work. So <laughs> we have to figure this out. Like there's no, there's no plan B. There's right. only option A. And so I have that um, adapter's mindset. And I deal with everything, you know, a lot of it was with the transitioning into the wheelchair being, you know, physical abilities and, and, and stuff like, you know, how to get out of bed, how to use the bathroom, how to shower independently, right? How to do all those things, figure it out. Um, but now, you know, I can translate that into business and everyday life, having an adapter's mindset, you know, for, you know, okay, let's restructure the budget of the organization or let's do this or do that, you know, whatever. But it's something that's really powerful that people, everyday person, could use. They could use that adapter's mindset to to better their to better their life. Sure. Here's something else from the book. What is the difference between controlling something and influencing it? And which is better in your opinion, to control it or influence it? Right. So that's um it's from the lesson of the dichotomy of control. And it's actually uh, rooted in ancient stoicism. But it's what they taught, and it's super powerful, is that you should worry about what you can control and disregard what you cannot control. The key, though, is the majority of things are not in your, in your control. And so you got to then first define, well, what is in your control? What's, what's influencing something? Well, controlling something is determining the outcome. Influencing it is trying to affect the outcome, but you're not actually going to completely uh, d- determine it, right? Like, for example, uh, and I don't know why this, this comes to mind, but like, you could hang up the call right now. Mm. That's in your control. Now, what would not, 
like what I can do though is I can try and influence you to not hang up the call, but I can't I can't determine if you're going to or not. You're you're going to do it no matter what I say. It's in your control. So it's important to recognize the difference because a lot of things we cannot control, but we can influence it. So when you ask, well, which one is better? Well, I don't necessarily think one is better. It's just important to um, to realize that there's a difference between the two because when you realize that you're not really in control of a lot of things, it removes a lot of that stress from your life of thinking that you can, you know, control everything when in reality you can't, you can only just influence it. And if you can only just influence it and then you can only put your best effort forward and, and you live with the results, you shoot your shot and you live with the results. Now think about it in, in your life, which do you use more? Do you use control more? Or do you use influence more running your, your nonprofit? Well, I think, I think, <laughs> I think in, in practice, I mean, I probably think that I can control more things than I can, but when I take a step back and, philosophize it then i think i realized wait a second this isn't in my control i can only influence it so the the key to the lesson is really just recognizing your reality recognizing what you can and cannot do under your under your agency so that's that's really the lesson there i don't know because i'm i'm listening to you right now and i'm thinking to myself you know we there's not much that we can really really control except for ourselves Everything else around Basically. us, we can't control what goes on around us. Other than, other than our body, we can control our body, but we have to influence everything else around us. I can't control what you're going to do because using the phone, you could hang up on me right now. So I'd have to try and influence you not to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're exactly right. And like, that's one of the keys to the lessons. Like, you know, and, and this is great though, because like, when you realize, well, what's in your control? Well, happiness, for example, would be internal. That was in your control. The Stoics teach that you don't need externals to make you happy, but you have everything within yourself to make yourself happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's when it's when you really want other people's approval, right? A lot of people want people's approval and stuff like that, or they want their acceptance. That's not in your control. I mean, I can be incredibly nice to you. I could tell you all these good things, be polite to you, whatever. But, you know, you may not like anybody because you don't like anybody. So it's not in my control. Right. It's like once you realize that, it's like, well, dealing with people becomes a lot more simple and you become a lot more free in what you're going to do. Because it's like, well, ultimately, I can't control what they're going to do anyway. So I might as well do what I'm going to do anyways. You know, as long, you know, I mean, don't take this lesson to the extreme. I mean, there's certain things that you're going to influence as well, right? Like, you know, if you <laughs> came on here and just said, like, I hate you, whatever. Well, that's not going to... That's certainly not going to influence someone to like you now, is it? But, you know, <laughs> you know, but, but if I'm nice to you, respectful, and you still don't like me, it's like, well, you know what? Like, that's not in my control. Like, who, who cares? Like, you know, just disregard it. Yeah, bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's something interesting, and I find this hard to believe, but you were bullied. You got bullied, and people, people have, <laughs> people didn't believe in you? That... Yeah, I mean, People, yeah, I mean, I've been bullied throughout my life. Um, Why? Because of your disease? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the easiest shot you go to, which is so stupid. It doesn't it doesn't do anything to me. Like when people say, oh, the wheelchair, it's like, well, that's not in my control. <laughs> so yeah. I don't care. Like, you know, if you make fun of my intelligence or my knowledge, and now I'd be mad. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's something I can control and, and actually, you know, care about that. But if you say, oh, well, you know, I can't do this or whatever because you're in a wheelchair, it's like, Dude, like, okay, that that literally doesn't matter. It gets me. But, like, no, I mean, people have said things, you know, when I used to walk on my tippy toes, they made fun of me. When I went in my wheelchair, they made fun of me. 
Um, you know, one time we were on a field trip with my school in fourth grade, you know, the lady, she said, like, we're introducing everybody, and, like, the tour guide was like, hey, wheelchair boy, come here, and the whole class was like, what the heck, like, she just called me a wheelchair, like, it was crazy, like, stuff like that. Um, an adult called you that? An adult called me that, yeah, I was in fourth grade. Really? It was it was one of the most insane things that, that has ever happened to me, I thought, you know, yeah, she called me a wheelchair boy, and then she told the class, right, and then she told the class, hey, like, don't give him any special attention. They like it. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> I'm like, first of all, talk about this ignorance. Is when I just went, and but this is when I went into the wheelchair too. So I'm like new to, it and I don't want special attention. I don't want pity. If someone, honestly, today where I'm at in my life at this point, if someone pities me, I pity them. Yeah. Because what they're doing is they're they're pitying me, thinking that I'm not capable. They're underestimating my capability. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know what? Yeah. That's sad for you. That's sad. Well, I, I've I've always said I never want people to look at me and say, "Here comes the guy in the wheelchair." I want them to say, "Hey, here comes Jim." You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't believe an adult said that to a child. That's it's nuts. That's pure ignorance. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And now you you said it. You said that turned it. All this bullying and stuff turned that in. You turned it into rocket fuel. Well, so rocket fuel is another lesson, which is a an amazing lesson, which is. When people doubt you and you believe that you could do something and they're saying you can't do it, it's free motivation. I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's the great, it's one of the greatest gifts that someone can give you. So I love when people doubt me, but like, you know, like I, I love my doctors and this is me not talking about my doctor, but like when my doctor said, you know, you, you can't reverse your spine. I thought, let's bet. Let's see. <laughs> one of the lessons that comes from a friend who he had straight A's and he said, I couldn't get straight A's because I'm not as smart as him. And I thought, that's not true. Let's try. And so I went on and got straight A's the next year, during my sixth grade year. And that, that's what made me realize, wait a second, I'm actually really capable. Because somebody challenged me. I didn't accept their their nonsense. And I proved to myself and them that I could do exactly what they said I couldn't. And that's rocket fuel. It's just, I mean, you know, motivation's fuel. But, I mean, it's like when people tout you and you know that you could do something. Yeah. It's rocket fuel. It's that That's hot. That's hot fuel. That's going to burn. That's cool. I understand exactly what you're saying. I love when people say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You want to bet? <laughs> you want to bet? Put mm-hmm. put your money where your mouth is. Now, lesson three in your book is be self-sacrificing. Go ahead. Tell me about that. Yeah, be self-sacrificing. Well, just straight up, people are very selfish today. We need to be more self-sacrificing. Self-sacrifice leads to good things for everybody. If you have a spouse and, and I don't know, she wants to go watch a movie and you don't really want to watch a movie, maybe today you just watch the movie with her because you love her and you know that she will enjoy it. You know, you're going to sacrifice whatever to make that happen. Uh, that's being self-sacrificing. Um, I, I believe that if, if people were just more self-sacrificing, maybe with a little thing here and there, it would make things a lot better uh, for everybody around us. Well, I'll tell you one thing about watching the movie with your wife. Happy wife, happy life. Trust me. <laughs> That's what they say. That's what they say. I'm married 38 years. Trust me. <laughs> mm, well, you, hey, you're very, very credible then. You're incredibly credible. I mean, congratulations <laughs> to you. You said, you said 38 years. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think that's that's something to be celebrated for sure. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, no, I'm I'm from the old school, but yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying. You got you do. You have to. You have. 
it's like, it's like anything else. You have to give to receive. And mm-hmm. that I believe in that. I believe in that wholeheartedly. You know, you can't you can't just take. You can't just take. You have to give. And I personally, I know this sounds hokey or or, you know, cliche, but I I'd rather give than receive, to be honest. And when you give, you always receive back. You usually receive back more than you give. So being self-sacrificing, that's a that's a good lesson. Now, another thing is you're big on self-image. It's a big lesson in your book. Why is self-image so important to you? Well, self-image is huge um, because how you see yourself is going to relate to them, how you act and how you act is how other people are going to see you. And so, you know, you really got to start, well, how do you see yourself? If you see yourself as like, an unconfident person, you're going to act unconfidently. See yourself as a confident person who's in control and and stuff like that. You're going to act that way. Um, and then people are going to see, yeah, this guy's confident. And people like to be around confident people. But that's important. For me, the big thing that I try to use is I try to use my situation to, to teach lessons. It's, I, <laughs> I philosophize the, um, the wheelchair a lot. But for me, it's like, well... I don't view myself as a disabled person. I identify as a disabled person, like, you know, making it my identity. That's that's what I mean. But I view myself as, well, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an author, I'm a public speaker. Um, I'm Elijah Stacey, mm-hmm. who happens to be in a wheelchair. And that's a ma- like that right there, that little tweak is a really, really important thing that you got to do. Right? If, it, if I sit here and go, oh, I'm in a wheelchair and no oh, wheelchair, wheelchair, wheelchair. And then, and then, this is the thing that I, I genuinely don't understand. So people go, okay, I'm in a wheelchair, wheelchair, wheelchair. My whole identity is wheelchair. You know, my social media bio is going to be wheelchair. This is wheelchair. And then they're shocked when people view them as being a person in a wheelchair. And they're like, why are people viewing me in a wheelchair? Because that's all you talk about. <laughs> exactly. That's all you talk about. If you view yourself as something else, people are going to view you as that. And, they, and, and if you're always talking about it, that tells me that that's how you view yourself. And so no. why should people view you differently when you don't even view yourself differently? You gotta, you gotta view yourself how you want to be viewed, and people are gonna start to view you that way. It that, takes time, but it happens. That's right. Now, can I just point out one thing to you? Please. You said something, and it's totally false. There is no right. such thing as a disabled person. You're not a disabled person. You're a person that has a disability, but you're not a well, disabled person. Well, that's why, I mean, the self-image, but some people are a disabled person, I would argue, because that's how they act and how they view themselves. No. So they're disabling, they're disabling themselves. They're, they're just, uh, they're broken. They're not disabled. <laughs> <laughs> they're just broken. <laughs> I feel like that's even worse. <laughs> exactly. They're broken. But there is no such thing as a disabled person. People are people. You're just a person with a disability. If you look at yourself as a disabled person, that means you're less than a person. You're 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 a broken person. These people that go on and whine and whine and whine, like you said, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm in a wheelchair, and they get upset because people say you're in a wheelchair. They're broken. There's something seriously wrong with them. That in my book, and that's what I try to get across to our audience. And I'd say ninety percent of our audience agrees with me. There's no such thing as a disabled person mm, mm. because you can't be a disabled person. If you're a disabled person, you're a broken person. You're just a person that has a disability. No different than a person who's overweight or a person that has red hair. You know, it's just something that you're a person with something. 
if you get what I'm saying. I'm a per- uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a person that's without something. I'm missing a leg. So <laughs> I just hate when when I hear someone say, "Oh, he's he's a disabled person or he's a disabled vet." No, he's a vet with a disability. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a disabled vet. It, that's just something that has always stuck with me. I've had disabilities for years. Doesn't make me any less of a person. It's just that I have a couple of handicaps here and there. But I'll still like you. You're getting things. You're getting things done faster and better than people that don't have a disability. <laughs> you're accomplishing bigger things than people that are quote unquote able-bodied and, and much more mature, mature age-wise than you. So, and you're gonna say you you're disabled? You're not disabled. No, I'm not. <laughs> you're, you're not. I don't care. You have a disability, but you're not disabled. Mm-hmm. You know, disabled. If you were disabled, that would mean you're a lump of clay laying in a corner and just waiting for someone to throw dirt on you. And that's, I'm sorry. That's I'm just being blunt. You're far from disabled. You're just a person with a disability, my friend. Mm-hmm. One other question. How can your readers, the readers of your book, The Small If, how can they expand their comfort zones as you as you advise? Yeah, so I mean, you expand your comfort zone. It's just simply doing things that you're uncomfortable with, and you're, you'll expand your comfort zone. It's, it's that simple. It's really that simple. It's like there's no other way to get comfortable than getting comfortable with whatever it is that you're uncomfortable with. So if it's public speaking, do a lot of public speaking. You'll get comfortable with it. If it's, I don't know, talking to the opposite sex or whatever, trying to get a date, like go do it a lot. You'll get comfortable with it. Um, Whatever, whatever it is that you're uncomfortable with, just go do it a lot. You'll get comfortable with it. So, in other, in other words, if you if you're uncomfortable talking to a girl, you should go out and talk to a girl. You should talk to a girl more. You should talk to a lot of girls more. That's what I was saying. So, hmm, I don't think my wife would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> talk to many girls. Who me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, currently not right now. I, I mean, well, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are female, but. So, get comfortable. Well, I'm comfortable. I just, I mean, I just got out of a one-year breakup. So, oh, did you? Like a, one, a one-year relationship, Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway. So, that, that, you know what I mean? I'm just taking it a rest. That, that's all. But, no, I mean, I'm, I'm fine talking to women. I mean, personally, if you ask me, like, I'm not trying to insult, but, like, I don't know. Like, a lot of, I mean, I'm 20, so a lot of young people today, you know, it sucks. Like, what I'm focused on and what I'm trying to prioritize, like, you're talking about, like, romantic relationships. It's like, you know... I want someone that is, you know, well, yes, let's have fun. I get it. But like someone that's mature and, you know, knows what they want and, 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 and kind of like going down that same path as I am. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and that's hard and that's hard to come by because a lot of people right now at this age of this don't know, they don't know what they want. They don't know what they want to do in their life. They don't know who they are. And it's like, well, that's a problem. No, I, no, I understand. I think that, you know what? I think it's smart. That you're not just jumping around here and there. I think that mm-hmm. I think it's smart you're waiting for the right person, especially in today's climate. You know. <laughs> what do you What do you mean by that? Like what? Yeah, what do you mean by that? I'm very curious to hear your take on. You said you've been married for 38 years, so yeah, I'd be curious to know what your take is on. Well, on on all that. Well, to be honest, I was married once before, and mm. the that lasted that lasted all of two and a half years, but. In today's climate, you know, you you got to worry. It's not like it used to be where you'd go out, you meet someone, you hang out, you do. Now, it's so dangerous. It, 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 there's so many different diseases and people, you know, p- 
people don't look at, at, at relationships like they used to. Here, it's like nowadays people people hook up and they'll they'll get together and they'll even get married. And if it doesn't work out, pfft, no big deal. You get a divorce. Things don't. There's no. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no sanctity in, in a relationship anymore. And people just hook up for the for the sake of hooking up. And I don't know. I, I'm old fashioned. If I'm going to get together with someone, that's why maybe I didn't really date a lot when I was younger. I was always looking for the person that was right for me, and I was oh. right for them, to be honest with you. And the the people that I dated you usually turned into long-term relationships. And, like, I'll be honest with you, my, my wife that I'm with now, 38 years, we were dating. We were only dating two weeks, and I asked her to marry me. We had, we had a year-long engagement, but we were only dating two weeks. Everyone oh. said, you're oh. crazy, it's never going to last. <laughs> Here it is, thirty-eight years later. <laughs> how did you, how did you guys meet? Actually, she she used to she she's a few years younger than me. She went to school with my younger sister, and she had a crush on me. And I'll tell you this: I was a I was a bouncer in a bar, and uh, she tried to get in the bar. And I told her, I said, "Go home and play with your dolls. You're too young to come in here." And she she always remembered that. And one day she was over my sister's house and I, I had been visiting and she needed a ride home so I said well I'm going home I'll, I'll drop you off and to, me, to be nice about it she was a little intoxicated and I said well I'll walk you upstairs she lived in an apartment building with her parents and she, no 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 and the next day she you know I met her again and we started talking next thing I know I said you want to go out to a movie and that started it mm -hmm. but we had a lot in common you know, neither one of us were into any kind of drugs or anything like that. I was, I was divorced from my first wife, and she was older now, <laughs> so it just worked out. But we had a lot in common, uh, a lot, a lot of the same interests and stuff like that. So it worked out. It worked out well, and here we are. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, everyone has their story. It just seems like it just kind of happens when it happens. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking for it. That that was the whole thing. I wasn't out like trolling bars or, you know, clubs or anything like that. It just kind of fell into my lap. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's so weird. Everybody says that, right? Everybody says that. I think it's fascinating because, like, and, and you said something uh, earlier too, which you know. So I'm a I'm a Christian, mm -hmm. right? So I view marriage really, really high, and and I believe that society is collapsing because we don't view marriage really high, as you said. Like you said. People just get divorced like it's, you know, oh, just let's get divorced. Like, that's not, that's not how I see it. It's like, you know, when you're married, it's like when you say those vows, like, you exactly. know, till death we depart. It's like, well, you do you really mean it or are you just saying it because it sounds cool? You know, like that's that's the thing. And it's like, well, I think people before they get married, they should really think about what marriage means and how committed they are. And like, I mean, it's a huge decision to commit yourself to another person for life. Exactly. Like, that's a big deal. But like people, like you said, they just hook up and... And I, and I actually think that, um, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the old one here, but like, I think like being promiscuous and just, you know, sleeping around a lot, you know, you, it's fun in the moment, but long-term it's going to do you a lot of psychological harm. You might get a disease, as you said, might get an unwanted pregnancy. And I think it's the breakdown of the family unit, which is, which is something I am huge on because it's like, if we want to build a great society, you have to have the, a strong family unit because the family unit is like the first form of government. 
in, in my opinion, right? It's like when you have two parents to take care of a kid, it's like, well, they, you know, they can both provide for the kid. They can, you know, they offer different types of things for the kid, you know, emotionally and stuff like that. It's like that, that helps build a strong society. But like too often now, a lot of kids grow up without, you know, uh, two parents. Like there, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of single mothers and, and stuff like that. And I just think that, well, you know, one of the greatest things that we could do to, to, to fix society would do, would be to fix our relationships. That, that's literally like the, the starting of it. Exactly. I, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you. It, this this throwaway marriage, I, I look at this thing. There's a, there's a TV show about married at first sight where people get married. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they meet at the altar. And they have an eight-week marriage. And you, then you, after eight weeks, you decide if you want to stay married or get divorced. <laughs> that, that's... I don't understand that. I just don't. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. Because it's like, well, how does it an eight-week marriage? Because a marriage is, you know, forever. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's already not even true to begin with. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're meeting the person for the first time at an altar. And mm -hmm. then you're going to decide in eight weeks if you want to spend the rest of your life with them? Come on. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't even know if I want to keep a keep a car after eight weeks. Never mind a marriage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but that's the way society is now. And then, you know, I don't want to get all, go off tangent, but off on a tangent. But uh, like you said about people people with uh, unwanted pregnancies and stuff, people are using abortion as birth control, mm -hmm. and that that sickens me. Mm. There's no. People, they just don't take, they don't take responsibility for their actions, whether it be a relationship, a pregnancy, raising children. How many people have children and let their kids run wild? They don't want to be their parents. They want to be their friends. Mm, I, mm. I, I know I'm going off on a tangent. That's it. <laughs> We're running off the book here. That's an important thing. Well, I mean, you know, my book is really, a, I mean, if you read the book, like, mm -hmm. it's about family, right? You'll see that a lot. Um, so, you know, there's that. And honestly, like, I'm not even going to lie to you. Like, I haven't really told anybody this on a podcast or interview yet, but I am actually, there's a lot of books I want to write. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to write another book. I'm actually really intrigued with writing a book about family unit and, and marriage. And, and yes, I'm not married, <laughs> <laughs> but, but my parents have been married for 30 years. They've had three God disabled bless. kids, three disabled, um, kids or kids with three diseases, whatever, however you want to call it. But um, you know, it's like, statistically speaking, parents, like the, the divorce rate when you have just one, uh, is astronomical. The fact that they have three and they're still together 30 years, I feel like it gives me some type of credibility of seeing what, what it's really about. Right. And so, you know, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a really big deal. And it's like, it's something that I seriously think that if like, we had more successful marriages and then families, I think we could make this country, um, in a lot better shape than where, where we're at today. Well, I, you know what? That that's a really that's a really 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 good testament to, towards your parents from you, what you just mm -hmm. said, and your parents your parents seem like su superstars as well. Mm, Be oh, definitely. Because you know, like you said, there's a lot of parents, a lot of people that separate because they can't handle it, not because they're bad people, but because they can't handle. You know, they they're just not as strong. Your parents seem like strong people. To to handle three children 
with disabilities. And you know what, Bo? It's a, it's a strong testament for you, too, because you're making it that much easier on them. Look at you. You're out there, you're out there campaigning and working with a nonprofit. What kind of kid, and I don't mean to call you a kid, but what kind of young person goes out and starts a nonprofit organization and is doing a whirlwind tour to, to try and fight the disease? Other kids may, you know, other young people might just sit home and be a, a drawn a, a drawer on their parents. You guys aren't mm. just sitting still. So, you know, it, it works on both ends there, too. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's, I think that's one of the keys to strong family. It's like, you know, it says that in the Bible, it says that we're supposed to honor our parents. And so then, you know, then, and then, like, the parents have a role, too. So it's like, it takes two. It like, does. any relationship you have, it takes two people, right? And um, it's not just a one-sided thing. You you both have to contribute something to the relationship, whether it's a familial, romantic, or platonic relationship. Exactly. Exactly. You're 100% right. It does. It, it, it can never be one-sided. If it's one-sided, it's, 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 it's already destined to fail. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Has to be, it has to be two ways. It's a two-way street all the time. It's give and take. I'll tell you what, you're wise, you're wise beyond your years. <laughs> you really, Thank you. You really truly are. Now, physically, how, how are you feeling? Are you feeling good? I mean, are you feeling strong? You know, it depends on the day. Uh, like if it's really cold out, I notice that it, it typically hurts my muscles more. I don't know. I mean, it makes sense to me why, like, scientifically. But, no, you know, I, 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 I to be honest with you, I, I never want to say, and it's not because I'm not an honest person. It's all about mindset stuff. I never want to say I feel bad mm-hmm. because that's accepting it. And then you, and then you're literally, you start to feel bad. Not that I can't admit it. Like I'm going to be honest. I, I, there's days where I'm in pain, you know, my muscles are tight and I need to be stretched out and, you know, I just need to get some blood flow and stuff like that. There's days like that for sure. But like, no, you know, I feel great. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm energetic. Uh, I'm moving forward. You know, talking to you is definitely, um, like, like I said, I enjoy this stuff. I'm having fun right now. You know, like, like, like when we started off this call, right. Mm-hmm. When we started off this call, you're like, hey, are you ready to go? And I'm like, yeah. And you're like, you don't sound like it. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> but now that we're deep into it, you know, we're not even, we're, we're talking about family unit now. We're talking <laughs> successful marriages. You know, would you ever think you're talking about that with a 20-year-old, you know? Like, no, that's, yeah. what I, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I told you in the beginning. It, it's just a conversation. We're just hanging out. The, uh... Yeah, no, and I, I love that. That's, that's how, that's. That's how it has to be, you know. I I can tell that you're a good host because like when you when you it's like so robotic and like whatever, there's no flow to it. It's like those type of conversations. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're just not really that productive. They're just too it's too uh, too organized. Right. Exactly. That's how I feel about it. But I, I, that's what that's what I'm saying. You you don't you're just you're wise beyond your years. I'm looking forward to your next book. But see. <laughs> You're you're talking about you you don't like the cold weather. Not only are you wise beyond your years, you're you're getting you're getting up there in years. I know when it's gonna rain. Trust me. Mm, mm. My my, my bones, and I'm not that old, but my bones. Oh my god. But and it happens when you have a disease that that affects your bones. Like if you have arthritis, you can you can tell when when. When it's going to be sunny, I never mind when it's going to rain or get cold. Mm-hmm. But now, 
tell me something. What kind of what kind of sports do you like? Do you like sports? I love. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely love sports. So I was. So my dad uh, was a uh, head football coach. So I actually grew up on the football field. Oh, did but you? I'm a huge. So, yeah. So, but I'm a huge. So I'm a huge basketball fan and huge, huge football fan. So basketball and football. Those are my two favorite sports. Yeah. What's your What's your favorite football team? See, I don't really have one, right? Uh, I don't really have one. I mean, when it comes to college football, I mean, I love college football uh, as it's, well. So do I. To so be honest. my, I adopted it for my dad. My dad's an Ohio State fan because he's from he's from Ohio, so I got to support the Buckeyes. Um, I do like I do like Oregon a lot. You know, I liked them when um, Chip Kelly was there. Like how fast their, you know, their offense was, their tempo it was great. Uh, really entertaining to watch, but. Uh, and, and, I mean, I really used to like the Seahawks when it comes to the NFL. But, you know, that's when, like, Marshawn Lynch was there, Richard Sherman. You know, it was just they're, – they're super entertaining to watch. But, um, you, know, you know, those guys aren't there now. So, um, yeah. I that's used, football, though. I used to be a huge Dallas fan. Well, I still am because they owe me money. Mm, mm. They owe me money. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> back, in, back in 1978 – I was a huge, huge, huge Dallas fan, and I bet like two weeks' paychecks on him in the Super Bowl, and I lost two weeks' paychecks. <laughs> and they, were, I think they were pay, playing the Raiders. Yeah. Anyway, they haven't won since, and they still owe me money. So I still, I still like them until they pay me back. But I, as far as college football goes, I've always been a fan of Notre Dame. Always. There's just something mm, about them, mm. and I, I was I've I've been watching them the last couple of weeks, and basketball I've never I could never get into it when I was a kid I used to like the Knicks. Mm, okay, I mean it makes sense New York. New York, that's the only reason. I never did like the Jets or the Giants though. Never, mm. never, never, never. And baseball I'm not a huge fan. And the funny thing is I went to school I went to high school right up. Right up this a couple of blocks up from Yankee Stadium, but I never did like the I never did like baseball. It was right up there with golf, as far as I was concerned. It's like <laughs> golf is like you know playing fetch without a dog. You practice all week to whack a ball four hundred yards so you can chase it. Nah. For me, I'm not a baseball fan either. Uh, too much. I mean, I enjoy going to game, you know. But like, what I realized is like, baseball it's so slow. I'm a really fast paced guy, but like baseball games, you know, it's like you go with some friends. Yeah, you know, you you eat a hot dog and you talk, and then oh, someone hit something. Oh, look, something actually happened. You know, that's kind of how that's kind of how I see baseball. Exactly, Um, exactly. But I'm a I'm a huge basketball guy, right? So because it's real fast paced, and I I mean basketball is probably my favorite sport. I that or football, right? I love it, and so I'm a huge LA Clippers fan. So well, California, of course. Well, you know, most people, and I'm near I'm near LA, but most people say Lakers, right? And I, you know. I liked, I loved Kobe Bryant actually, but um, and that guy, that mindset, right, that mama mentality—that's exactly. See, I feel like I have mama mentality, but but battling it with Deshaun in adversity, like the same type of same type of thinking. But um, but no, the Clippers, right? The Clippers. Well, Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and DJ—that's what got me. You know, that's what got me intrigued with them, and so I really started liking them. But I'm a huge, huge basketball guy. I love basketball. It's just so. It's just so entertaining. I, I I like hockey too. Now I I don't know enough about hockey, but I I like to you know if I get invited to go to a game or something, you know uh, I'm near the Ducks uh, in Anaheim. 
uh-huh. you know, I'll go. I love because it's fast paced as well. Like anything that's just fast paced, I like it. And and I love athletics. Like okay, you know how we talk about fun? Okay, going to an LA Clippers game or going to a, a college game or whatever. That is my fun. That's my Disneyland. Yeah. That is my like like. When people say, hey, what TV? Well, I don't watch TV. I, I watch sports. Like, that's <laughs> that's my entertainment. Like, I absolutely love sports. That's cool. That's, see, there you go. That's what I was getting at before. What do you find is fun? That's, that. you have to have that break away from things. Everyone has to have a break. And that's, mm-hmm. that's cool. That's cool. What about music? Are you, are you, are you into any kind of music? Yeah, I, I like music. Um, I basically like everything but country. <laughs> Get so, out of here. So I, everyone tells me, including my older brother. I actually have an older brother. I don't know if we talked about him. No, we didn't. So he's, what, 25, I think? Um, yeah, he's 25. He's actually in the military. He's a paramedic as well. Combat combat, uh, combat medic. He's completely healthy. Uh, he's, he's actually about to get married in February. So I'm uh, oh, cool. really happy for him. And his, Very good. God he, bless. Yeah. yeah. But he tells me, right, because he didn't like country. He said, oh, no, when you get older... You'll start to like country music. I thought, well, you know, <laughs> to me, look, I'm a barbecue guy. I love barbecue food. Okay? okay. And, you know, when we're all eating barbecue, you hear the country music going on in the background. You know, it's nice background music. You know, that's as far as I go with country. So that's how I see it. But but maybe I'll love country. Maybe I'll be a huge country guy in the next two years. Now, now tell me you've never seen Shania Twain. I have no clue what that is. What's that? You never heard of Shania Twain? Shania Twain? Yeah. No, is that a musician or? My God, man, where have you been? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> when you get when you get off of this, I want you to go to YouTube and type in Shania Twain. Mm. Then mm. you can call me back and say, "Oh, now I know what you're talking about. She's a country singer." <laughs> My God, I have to get you out. <laughs> you're in California. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I, thought, I, thought, I thought I lost yeah. you again there for a second. No, you, you, or you... California. I, thought, I thought you were still going to say something, so I'm waiting like, yeah, I am in California. Yeah. <laughs> You're in California. The girls are walking around in bathing suits. You don't know who Shania Twain is? No, no Good clue. Lord. What kind of music do you like? Uh, You know, so I like... It's funny, right? This is funny. I like techno music. Um, I like, you know, reggae. I like... Rap, I guess, hip hop, whatever. I I like. I really like classical music. Okay. I really like classical music. I like hearing, you know, instruments like that. Yeah, I kind of like it all. You know, it just depends. But I just it just kind of depends. Last week, I just uh, I interviewed I interviewed a fellow. His name is uh, Eric Oberto, and he's uh, industrial music. And he just did a soundtrack for a horror movie, actually. Uh, Amityville Cult, and it's not. It, it don't, to me, it sounds like uh, grunge music. But and it was that was never my t- my cup of tea. You know, the, the screaming into the microphone and stuff. But he has a song that he did for this for this soundtrack, and he's got me hooked on this music now. <laughs> it's mm. it's amazing. It's amazing. But I, I kind of listen to anything. The only thing I, I really don't like is is is. Uh, hardcore rap i can take some of it but the hardcore rap where you can't understand the words mm. but i can i can deal with classical i don't like uh i don't like house music or whatever they want to call it mm-hmm. you know but the rest of it i can take 
even the grunge music I can take. What music is I love to have music on during the day. I'm not a big mm -hmm. TV, I'm not a big TV fan. You know, I sometimes I have it on in the background just for the just for the noise. Mm -hmm. but, but you, like I said, you've been doing. You've been you've been real busy for someone that's 20 years old. You've accomplished stuff that people that are 40 and 50 haven't done. Right? I, I get that a, I get that a lot, and I mean. I kind of understand it, but I don't at the same time. So I'm like, well, I don't know. What have 50 year olds done? Like, what? And what? What do people mean by that? Because I get that a lot, and I, I, I somewhat get it. I understand. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of like, I'm moving. I'm doing a lot of things, but I don't fully understand that. I put it this way: you can look at some 50 year olds that have done nothing other than get a job at McDonald's, mm. and that's their that's their life. They mm. get up in the mm. morning. They go to McDonald's. They come home at night, watch TV, and go to bed. You're running organizations. You're going out making public appearances. You're, you're educating people. You're writing books. And again, like I said, there's 40 or 50-year-olds that get up, go to work, come home, go to sleep, get up, go to work, come home. That's it. Mm. So you're doing a lot more than 40 and 50-year-olds, <laughs> and 60 and 70 for that matter. I just don't understand that. I, I genuinely couldn't be happy in life if I just went to like McDonald's and came home and watched TV. Like I would, I couldn't do that. Like I mean, there, I have to do. There's like nothing everybody wrong. Everybody, well, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing with wrong with working not, at McDonald's. I'm not putting them down for working there. No, I'm just no, saying. Not, I just use that as that. A, as a job. They're doing a they're doing a job, but you're doing at at your age, you're functioning in. 20 different capacities mm. where that's what I mean. I, I'm, I'm not putting them down for having a job wherever it is, but I'm just saying they're, this is, they're doing that. They're working one job and they're happy just floating by in life where you're at 16 to 20 running organizations. I mean, you met with Jeff, Jeff Bezos. You're, you're a younger version of him right now. That's funny. Um, <laughs> you no, I, I, I get it. But to, but to your point, yeah, nothing wrong with working at McDonald's. Like, working a job is better than... Working a job is better than sitting on the front step. Yeah, but, but like, I feel like everybody has greatness in them that they can, you know, they, I don't think you're high, like, let's say a minimum wage job. Like, and I understand the economy and the, the climate and everything. Okay, fine. But I think everybody has it in them to do more than just work a minimum wage job for, you know, a majority of their life. I think that people can... They got to really push themselves, you know, and, uh, you know, that might mean going to, back to school to get that degree. That might be, you know, putting yourself out there more to get a better job. That might be whatever, but I think everybody has it in them to do, to do more. And so like, for me, I couldn't, you know, lesson two of my book is stay ambitious. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it says that you should stay ambitious. And well, what that means is you should have a goal or something that you're ambitious about to keep going after, because when you do that, you become full of, of life and purpose and energy and if you're just, and that's when you become alive, right? Like, so the opposite of that is if you're just stagnant in life, if you're just kind of going through it and you don't really have anything that you're ambitious about, you're, you're just stagnant. You're just there. You're, oh, not, I... you're just, you're just there. You're not really alive. You're just there and uh, you're just existing. And so it's like, when you have big goals and ambitions, like now you're, now you're alive. No, I agree. I agree. You, you shouldn't, you should never just settle. Never settle. You should always look for something better. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. how, that's how I look at life. Always look for the next step. A, a minimum wage job should be a stepping stone, especially mm -hmm. in this day and age, because everyone has the opportunity to, to better themselves. 
everybody, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your religion, your race, your, your creed, whatever, everyone has the, has the same opportunity to better themselves. The only thing that stops you from bettering yourself is you. That, and anyone that has a, has a different view on that, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Everyone can go to college nowadays. The only thing you have to do is apply yourself. Anyway, uh, I've had a blast with you today, to be honest with you. I've had a good time talking to you. I've learned a lot yeah, about likewise. you. A lot about likewise. you. Uh, so, um, so I want to tell everybody, you have to buy his book. Now, where is the book available, Elijah? Yeah, Amazon. Amazon. If you go to Amazon, you type in a small if, you'll find me there. Um, but you can, I mean, you can buy it from Barnes & Noble, uh, online, Target Online, you know, basically anywhere where books are sold. But, you know, I typically just point people towards Amazon. And we'll have a link. We'll have a link in the show notes for that, definitely. And do you have a website? Yes, so my, my personal website is Elijah J. Stacy at dot com. So it's just Elijah and then the letter J and then Stacy S T A C Y dot com. Okay. Um, we'll have a link in the webs in the show notes for that. Mm-hmm. And any other websites you have? Well, social media it's um, also at Elijah J. Stacy. And so that's you know, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. But then, I mean, my other website, I guess, would be the organization's website, Destroy to Shin. And so that's destroydeshin.org. And Deshin is spelled D-U-C-H-E-N-N-E. That's D-U-C-H-E-N-N-E. So that's destroydeshin.org. And that'll also be in the show notes. We're going to have all of Elijah's websites in the show notes. So if you didn't get it now, don't worry about writing it down. Just look in the show notes for the podcast. They're all going to be there, links that you can go right to them. And I'm going to suggest that you go there, check them out, like them, follow them. And you have to follow this guy because when you see his picture, you're going to look at him and go, this guy looks like a lawyer. But you heard him <laughs> on here today. He's got a crazy side to him. He's got a bit of a crazy <laughs> side to him. So you, you're going to have to follow him. And chat with him. Send him some emails. He likes to he likes to read the emails, and he'll get wild and crazy with you in the emails. Trust me, we're dragging it out of him a little bit at a time. When I first got on the phone with him today, he was like, "Hmm, hmm." Now he's talking about girls. He he's gonna have to learn about Shania Twain too. I don't can't believe he doesn't know who Shania Twain is. I've been in love with Shania Twain for years now, and once you hear her music. My goodness, man. <laughs> when Next time I talk to you, you're going to be humming her songs. You'll have it on in the background. <laughs> next, picture uh, I, next picture I see, you're going to have a cowboy hat on. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm going to move to Texas, too. Bye. There you go. <laughs> well, she's from Canada, actually. She's, oh, really? She's okay. a cowgirl from Canada. But she's, mm-hmm. her music's really good. Her music, all of them, all of them. I love I, I never liked country music, to be honest. Well, my my father was a truck driver. So I kind of grew up around country music because that's all he listened to. And I'm talking back with Willie Nelson when he was young. and uh, But now with the with the ladies of country, I kind of like country music. But I'm, I also like rock and roll. But anyway, Elijah, I had a blast today with you. I really did. I had a good time with you. And I'd like to talk to you again as time goes on. And yeah, 
And whatever I can do to help you with this fighting Duchesnes, I, I, I'd really like to help. And I'm going to, you know, keep following you. I definitely want to keep following you. And I want to keep in touch. But Yeah, no, definitely. Let's definitely do that. It's, it's honestly been great talking to you today. It's, uh, it's been a dynamic uh, interview, so I really appreciate it. So, so thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, again, I'm honored that you came on. I'm really glad that we got in touch to begin with because... This is such a an, an important fight that you're fighting with this Duchenne's disease, mm. and whatever we can do to help, whatever we can do to help, if you if you have things going on that you want to get it out, just let me know and we'll we'll put it out there for you as well. We have a pretty large audience, and uh, as much as I can share for you, I will. Trust me. But I want to thank you, and I want to wish you and your family a very merry Christmas and a happy prosperous and healthy new year so thanks again and again we'll talk very soon sounds good thank you so much and you have a great uh holiday season and merry christmas to you and your wife and so have a have a great rest of your day you too my friends So what did you think of Elijah Stacy? The guy's amazing, isn't he? Think about it. If you were 20 years old and knowing in the back of your head, checkout time is at 27, he doesn't even think about it. And you want to know something? I believe he's going to be around a lot longer than that. He has such a positive attitude. And we're already making plans for him to be back on the podcast and... I think he's making plans to go to a Shania Twain concert. <laughs> uh, he's an amazing guy. He is an amazing guy. And I want you to go out and buy his book, A Small If. You have to read it. I read that book in three days. Three days. It's available on Amazon. So look up A Small If by Elijah Stacy. It's a great book. I'm telling you, it's a page turner. So thank you, Elijah, for being here, and I will talk to you soon. Now, coming up this week on the next episode of Apple a Day, we're going to have Faith Gilbo and her mom, Karen Gilbo. Now, I know you're going, hmm, I've heard those names before. Of course you have. They've been on the podcast before. Faith was in a movie for public TV and... She made the movie, she directed the movie, and starred in the movie. And now that it's been out there and it's been judged, she's getting worldwide acclaims for this movie. And not only is she getting worldwide acclaims, she's getting all kinds of awards. Namely, the People's Choice Award. That's right. She got a People's Choice Award for her movie. So she's back. She had added a goodness of her heart. She came back to be on the podcast and talk to us. She's a big celebrity now, Faith, and Karen's protecting her. But they have some big news that they're going to share, and they're coming up this Thursday on an apple a day. You don't want to miss it. Karen and Faith Gilbo, the Gilbo girls. So make sure you're here on Thursday so you can check them out, and I'll talk to you then. I hope you're all ready for the holidays. I hope everything's going good for you. Have a great day, my friends. And remember this, 
no one ever went blind by looking at things from the bright side. Give it a shot. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to An Apple a Day with Jimmy Apple, your gateway to a happy, healthy life. Join our community at www.famousapple.com. See you next time.